Hey everyone, this is episode 130 of the Crowdfunding Uncut podcast. As you know, we are doing a top 10 countdown really over the next few weeks in preparation for the new brand and podcast that we are launching on May 15th. You can head over to kirsten.com to join the mailing list and get make sure that you stay up to date with like new resources and new content that we're putting out as well as getting notified when the new podcast is airing. Uh, so that's K-H-I-E-R-S-T-Y-N.com. Apart from that, this is my absolute favorite episode um, with Max Temkin of Cards Against Humanity, Exploding Kittens. This man has advised and been a part of more than $10 million in funding on Kickstarter. He is a legend in the game space, and this is a very um, controversial episode. I remember reaching out to him because I saw his involvement with Secret Hitler, and I was sitting on my bed recording this podcast episode a few years ago, and um, I had no idea who this guy was. I got him on the podcast, and of course, I asked my typical, so how did you get into, into Kickstarter and your game? And he's like, well, before Secret Hitler, I was involved in a startup called Cards Against Humanity, and I remember sitting on my bed mortified like, oh, Maybe I should do more research on my guests before they come in. Um, so that was that was amazing. And this ended up being one of our most downloaded episodes ever. So we had Max come on. This is the like flashback to the first time I had him on the podcast. And then because he was our most popular episode at that time, we brought him back for the century run of episode 100. So um, this one is focusing on our very first interview together. It's great content. It's controversial. He has his own opinion of how things should be done, which he focuses on creating a beautiful product that his customers absolutely love versus heavily marketing a product. And I think that's important because as we get into the landscape of product launches, it's just becoming a marketing play. And some people are really forgetting that to have longevity in a brand, you really need to focus on having and creating a product that customers love. And his focus to that and his, you know, even the um, like the games and stuff that he's created have become global phenomena. So he's really just an amazing guy. And uh, I wanted to bring this back. So this is episode 130 with Max Temkin. And again, head over to kirsten.com for the latest news and stuff on the podcast releasing on May 15th. Welcome to Crowdfunding Uncut. This is the place where incredible project creators show you how they launch their products online using the world's largest crowdfunding engines, such as Indiegogo and Kickstarter. Thanks for listening. We have Max Temkin on the show, who is co-founder of Secret Hitler, which is a Kickstarter campaign that raised over $1.5 million. You'll be pleased to know that Max has actually been around the crowdfunding space for quite a while. He advised Exploding Kittens, which is one uh, campaign that raised over $8 million and is also the founder of Cards Against Humanity, which if you are not familiar with board games, you really need to check that one out. Um, Max is very different to the other guests we brought on the show in that a lot of the other guests, if you've been listening, they have marketing strategies that preach the 30% rule, getting PR, building an audience, and, and doing a whole bunch of stuff to prepare for a marketing launch of your product. But Max gets to the root of 
what really should be important, which is staying true to your art. And he goes through how he didn't do any traditional marketing for his products. He created a project that people loved and clearly it's paid off. So this is a really, it's a different interview. He's completely challenged how I look at crowdfunding and uh, stepped on a lot of my beliefs, but he has a great, great point in that crowdfunding is meant to bring great ideas to life. And I feel that with more uh, more of it being a, a place for where you can get your business funded, a lot of us lose sight of, of what's really important. So I'm really excited to bring Max onto the show today. Hey, Max, I'm really excited to have you on the line today. And even more importantly, I'm excited to learn more about Secret Hitler. Oh, thanks for having me. This is uh, this is really exciting. Yeah, you know, I could I could go into your campaign myself, but I think that you're the best person to go into. What exactly Secret Hitler is? Sure. So Secret Hitler is a, a party game. It's part of a genre of party games called um, uh, social deduction games or hidden identity games. Um, so these games go back uh, probably hundreds of years. And generally, they kind of involve everyone sitting at the table together and different players have different secret identities. And you're trying to sort of ferret out who everyone is at the table and who their hidden role is and then figure out who's on your team and win as a team. So in our game, the setting is pre-World War II Germany and uh, all of the players are sort of um, in the German government. Most players are liberals and they're trying to hold the government together and prevent World War II. But some players are secretly fascists and they're trying to get Hitler elected as chancellor and then, you know, obviously sort of start the war. So the fascists are trying to figure out who their fellow – who – the fascists are trying to figure out – so the fascists have all the information at the table. The liberals are trying to figure out who fascists are and one player is secret uh, Hitler and Hitler does not know who anyone else at the table is. So Hitler is sort of – the fascists are trying to signal Hitler to say, hey, we're on your team. We're trying to help you. Um, but uh, obviously not so strong of a signal that the liberals can figure it out. And we've added a couple of other mechanics where you're sort of working – you're electing governments and passing laws. So it's sort of meant to the, – the broader picture of the game is it's sort of meant to talk about how a – you know, we're sort of looking at contemporary events in America with – probably, you know, a little bit of alarm. And we're, we're, we just started thinking about like, how does this sort of openly fascist candidate do well in a democracy? Like why, what, what leads people psychologically? Like why, why are people susceptible to that? And this game was sort of our attempt to, to have a little exploration of that and try and understand it. And as of right now, I guess your campaign ended a month ago on Kickstarter. Yeah, that's about right. And how much did you guys end up raising? Um, I don't remember. I can hang on. I can look it up. Let's see. see Kickstarter, Secret Hitler. Googling it. Uh-huh. Okay. Now I click over here. Uh, one uh, one million four hundred seventy nine thousand and forty six dollars. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a big number. Originally, how much were you guys going for funding? Uh, it says here fifty four thousand four hundred fifty dollars. Wow, that's nuts. Yeah. Did you expect the campaign to go viral like it did? Um, well, what is go? I don't know what going viral is. Well, I guess just become you. You got funded way more than your original goal, and did you expect it to do this well? No, we. In fact, we revert. We were. You know, our our interest was we we made this game. It was really fun. We play tested it for a long time, 
And our goal was to just do a production run of the game. So we picked that $54,000 price point because that would allow us to put the game into production. And that artistically, that was our goal with the game was we just wanted to make this thing and and put it out into the world. You know, we thought it was sort of, you know, interesting given, you know, current events and and really fun to play. And um, it, it wasn't really... Um, the most important part of our strategy, worrying about, you know, if it was, if people were going to find out about it or how, if it was going to make money or how much money it was going to make. I mean, we weren't really thinking about it as a business. We're just sort of thinking about it as this, this piece of art that we really care about. Yeah. And this game, I, I know it's, um, kind of similar in format to other games out there, such as werewolf and whatnot, but it's, the idea is very unique and, I'd love to know how you guys came up with this idea. You mean how just like how did we come up with the game to begin with? Yeah, how did you come up with the game around Hitler and fascists and liberals and Yeah, well there's so there's a couple of I mean it depends how far back into sort of the history of of creating the game you want to go. So um I made another game um about 5 years ago called Cards Against Humanity that's done very well in cards uh, runs a co-working space in Chicago. So this is a sort of a shared art space where all different kinds of our, our friends and interesting people who are sort of working on really cool projects can come together and, and you know, collaborate on stuff. And uh, one of we love playing games. We love playing tabletop games in particular. So we got really into this game called Avalon, which is another hidden identity game. Played this game to death. I mean, we probably played dozens and dozens and dozens of rounds of it. And I think we we started to feel like, well, there's some drawbacks to this game. There's some things we we love about it and some things that we don't love about it. And um, initially, Secret Hitler began uh, with my two partners, Mike and Tommy, just sort of like having lunch and brainstorming and thinking about like, well, what would you do to take um, some of the chaos of Avalon out and make it a little more mechanical, uh, a little more thinky, a little more puzzly? And uh, they uh, initially sort of landed on on a very early prototype of Secret Hitler, and I loved it and kind of got involved helping to produce it and play test it and um, uh, yeah, just just bring this thing into the world. So that was that was sort of the origin story. Okay. No, I, I love that, and also a huge fan of Cards Against Humanity. Um, that oh, was thank you. Pretty much the go-to game for any board game party that I host <laughs> as well. So. Um, I'm excited to add this one to that roster as well. So moving into it, why did you decide to uh, launch this on Kickstarter as a crowdfunding campaign? Well, um, people do Kickstarter projects for a couple of reasons. Um, The first reason is you need money to accomplish um, sort of an artistic vision and you don't have the money. Um, in this case, that was somewhat the case. Like I have some savings from cards and and, um, I probably could have, you know, taken a big risk and just like printed this game. Um, but you know, it's, it's just like, it just felt weird for me. You know, it's like, well, if I'm going to put up all the money, it sort of creates this weird issue of like, well, we have an equal partnership of the three of us who are working on it. And now it's actually a a four way part, equal partnership with our, with our partner, Mac, who did the illustration. So for us, you know, we looked at this as the four of us want to start, um, a project together and we want to go into it as equal partners and crowdfunding gave us the ability to raise the money that we needed. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, when we saw that $50,000 print budget, we were really nervous. We really looked at that and we were like, I, I honestly don't know if we can get this amount of money. Um, so that was a big concern for us. 
Um, the second reason people do crowdfunding is they have an idea that they like, but they want to validate it in the world before they sort of start pouring their time and money and resources into it. So in this case, you know, we really liked this game. We thought that it was interesting. We thought it was provocative. Um, we thought the title um, sort of intrigued us. But, you know, publishing a game about Nazis called Secret Hitler, like people might be really offended by it. They might not want to play it. It might make people feel bad. Mm-hmm. And we had no idea if we just sort of published this thing, would would people enjoy it? Would they, would they want to buy it? Would they want to play it? Would they be curious about it? So Kickstarter for us was a way to sort of put it into the world and take some of the risk away, you know, versus just printing it and trying to sell it to people where we got to find out right away, is there interest in this idea? Is the Nazi, you know, theme is talking about, um, you know, sort of this, this terrible period of history. Is that going to be enough of a turnoff that people won't want to try the game? And luckily that wasn't the case, but you know, now it seems obvious like, Oh, well it was really successful. So it was a good idea, but these things are never obvious, right? Like it, just because it's, it's, it speaks to you or it's fun for you. Well, that's why you made it, but that doesn't necessarily speak to why anyone else would be interested in this art. Yeah. And now you're sitting at over 8,300 backers. So it's definitely, I mean, it's obviously been validated <laughs> as well. So, and so moving forward then um, with your campaign, when you actually want to launch it, one thing I like to focus these interviews around is one thing that you think that your team did really well to account for your success on Kickstarter. And I'm wondering if you know what that one thing might be. Yeah. I mean, that's a really interesting question. I would say I have, I have maybe kind of an unusual pick for this. So, you know, when we were, so, so for secret Hitler, you know, we really wanted this thing to work. Like we really wanted to make this game. We were really nervous about it and we were scared about the theme we were scared about um, the amount of money we were asking for, and we—I mean, I mean, really—we were, we, including me, who's done a successful Kickstarter before. Mm-hmm. We were all lying awake at night, trying, thinking about like, is this thing going to work or not? So we really were scared. We had no idea if it was going to be successful, and we were really scared about it. And at this point, there's a lot of people have this temptation. There's this whole sort of racket of the secondary market of like Kickstarter consultants and people who are like Kickstarter gurus and they have these tricks and tips that are going to make you a million dollars on Kickstarter. And it's very tempting to start going on these websites and reading these people's blogs and, and going to these people who frankly have no idea what they're talking about you know, they're the same as anyone else. They just have their guesses and opinions Mm -hmm. and start looking at their very, um, sort of conventional wisdom and their very conventional thinking of like, Oh, you have to do like affiliate advertising and cross promotions and all this nonsense. That's like a big distraction from making a good piece of art and then think, Oh, well that's the secret. If we want to succeed, we have to do that stuff. And I think when I look back at the campaign for secret Hitler, it took a lot of sort of willpower and confidence to just say, you know, we're, we're, we don't want to succeed on a gimmick. We don't want to succeed on a trick. We don't want to succeed on like a marketing stunt. We want to succeed on the merit of the game because if this Kickstarter is successful, we want to know it's because people want this product and we can continue to make this product. Not because we somehow like tricked some poor saps and you give us their money on Kickstarter. So I think the smart, looking back at the campaign now, I think the smartest thing we did was sort of reject all of this um, sort of old, old-fashioned, old media, old-world advice of how to kind of trick people into giving you their money. Okay, so if you just to recap, you steered away from any of the typical marketing tips and tricks, such as um, affiliate advertising, Facebook ads, retargeting. So you didn't do any of that. 
No, in fact, wow. I so at this point, I think I've run five or six successful Kickstarters, including I, I helped out with uh, the Exploding Kittens project, um, just sort of as as a friend and as an advisor, um, which is the most successful project in the history of Kickstarter. And none of those projects have used any form of paid advertising whatsoever. So what did you do for Secret Hitler then? Because I think that could be the one thing we focus on. Sure. So for Secret Hitler, um, what we did was um, we worked for about a year on the game. So from the initial idea until when we published it, we stayed up late every night working on the graphic design. We stayed up late uh, uh, many nights doing playtests. We playtested the game every day. When something went wrong, we really listened to it and we adapted. Um, We uh, uh, did many, 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 probably hundreds of iterations of the game based on feedback from playtests. We traveled with it and we brought it to events and we tried it playing with people who were different than ourselves, um, you know, and saw how they reacted to it and then adapted the game based on that. And I think that the care that we put into the game and how good the product was, that's ultimately what sold it to people. Okay. We, I, I think we also did a good job in the project of sort of explaining what the game was to people. I mean, we worked really hard to make it simple and understandable and pitch it to people. But people see right through that. I mean, especially in, in the category of games, consumers, especially people who would go on Kickstarter, they're very savvy. Like, they're not as susceptible to these, like, tricks and gimmicks as people think. So at the end of the day, it's just the quality of the product. Can, when people look at it, can they see the care that we put into it? Can they see that people will have fun playing with it? Do they understand intuitively that, that they'll have fun and that they'll have this great experience when they play with it? And that comes from working incredibly hard on a product and, you know, no, and in some cases, uh, for for other, I know you said you just want to talk about Secret Hitler, but another piece of this puzzle is, I've probably worked on before Secret Hitler twenty or thirty games that I play tested and they weren't good, and I knew that I had to walk away from them because they they didn't have that that sort of hook that Secret Hitler did. Yeah, I'm. So what I'm dying to know because I've been on uh, about three campaigns right now and I've raised about a million dollars with it, and we did use traditional crowdfunding marketing strategies um to have facebook ads retargeting and all that stuff um i'm curious that like one thing that accounted for our success early on is to gain early momentum through shared social media network Mm -hmm. and all that stuff when Mm -hmm. you if you didn't do paid you you kind of you kind of lost me i don't know i don't know what a lot of these things are yeah exactly my point and so if we go to when you launched how? What did you do to raise? Wait, I, but I'm uh, sorry. I'm. Like? I'm. I would love to know what that is, actually. Oh, what? Okay, gaining, great. Gaining yeah. early momentum by a shared network. Yeah. So gaining early momentum. Um, the common rule says that Kickstarter, Indiegogo, you want to hit thirty percent of your goal in the first seventy-two hours. And to do that, you oh, want where to. I, I'm, that yeah. is crazy. That's what people say. Yeah, I. Who says that? Man, that's common. That is what people, the gurus say online, <laughs> right? I love that I have you on an interview That's right so now. so funny. Uh-huh. I, I freaking love this. But have those but people like, ever done a project? Like, where are they getting that information from? They're, honestly, I have used that for the two campaigns that I've been on, and that helped us get into the trending section and then get a bunch of piggyback traffic from Indiegogo. Interesting. Yeah. So it, so there's this thought that you have to raise a certain percentage by a certain time or the project what if people won't it's, like the people won't like the art? Yeah, so traditionally if you don't hit 30% in the first 3 days, your project is not likely to hit its funding goal. 
well, to me, that's just another. I mean, okay, strategy, I, that's right? that's definitely true, but it's definitely. But all that really, all that's saying is, if people aren't excited about your project in the in the beginning when they hear about it for the first time, you're going to have a really hard time getting people excited about it later. Yeah. Like that's you don't really need a, a lot of data to make that point. That's just saying like successful projects are successful, and projects that people aren't excited about, they're not excited about. Exactly. But this is what's and this is what's wonderful about Kickstarter is like not every project is great. Sometimes people make bad projects. Sometimes they make something that people don't like. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people make something that's great, but they have no idea how to explain it. Like I've had friends make really weird, cool art, but when they go to Kickstarter to do a project for it, it's like they they really struggle with how do you explain this to people in a way where they can get excited about it. And in those cases, having a project fail is a gift mm-hmm. because if you just somehow were to do some trick and have some affiliate ads, or I don't know what people do, but if they do some trick where then they get their money, but people aren't really that excited in their product, well, then what have you gained? It's like you have, you have money, but people, you don't, you know, it's like you don't have a popular product. You don't have a good thing to do with your life and, and something, you know, you don't have the, the confidence that what you're doing, like gets people excited and brings joy to them. That's, that's, that's a, that's the difference between, you know, a good project and a good life, right? Like yeah. a Kickstarter is, is a means to an end of making some, some, a, a cool project that you believe in and then connecting with people who will financially support it so that this wonderful thing can exist in the world. Um, you know, that's why these websites like, like Indiegogo that you mentioned, I mean, these websites are ridiculous because it's like, well, I, in order to make my vision, my piece of art that I imagine, I need $1,000. And then at the end of the campaign, well, you only get $10, but you still are on the hook. You get to keep that money and you're still on the hook to make the $1,000 thing. Like what, like who is that fooling? Like that's just, that's just setting yourself up for disappointment and setting yourself up to waste your time. And it's setting your backers, the people who believe in you up for disappointment. Like in that case, the more graceful, and I say this as someone who's failed in many, many things in my life. Like the more graceful thing is to, is to fail and rethink what you're doing and, and do something that will work better next time. Yeah, because as you say, the number one reason people will do Kickstarter is to validate the idea. So if you fail the first time, you do have to rethink. And one thing I love is the emphasis uh, for how you spent a year prior to the campaign really working with people to perfect the the art, as you say, of what Secret Hitler is. And so... Yeah, I mean, I, I often, I mean, you know, Kickstarter. So, so just just to back up a second to like how we, you know, why why we put so much, why we front load so much time and energy before a Kickstarter project. Um, you know, in the case of Secret Hitler, you know, Kickstarter. There are many. So, when you're making a piece of art, there are depending. You have to give the piece of art what it needs, and different pieces of art have different needs. In the case of Secret Hitler, you know, I, I think games are, are art, and I think this is an artistic expression. And unfortunately, with a tabletop game, one of the things that that piece of art needs is a production budget. Like, you can't get the game into the world. You can't have people experience the art unless you make a bunch of copies and get them in people's hands. So that's just uh, – uh, I, I just recognize that as a requirement of the art that I'm making in the same way that an oil painter needs to be in a gallery for people to see the oil painting. It's, a, it's something the art needs. This is, this is what the game needs. Um, you know, the, it, it is part of the art experience, especially in games, that people experience it and engage with it. So how do we get there? How do I get the games printed and get it in people's hands? Well, we need money. And there are many, many tools in the world to get money. I mean, I could beg my parents for money. In this case, not that much money. But, you know, if it was a smaller print run, I could uh, beg my family for money. Mm-hmm. I could go to an investor. I could take a loan from a bank. Uh, I could... Um, set up a charity page and ask people to just give me their money for nothing in exchange. I mean, 
I could work at McDonald's for years and save money in a bank account and, you know, print the game myself. There are there are probably thousands of strategies to get some money to make a game. And Kickstarter is just one strategy. It's just one tool in the toolbox. And Kickstarter has certain drawbacks, just like any tool. It has certain drawbacks. It has certain requirements. It has certain rules. And it has certain strengths. And you have to know, you know, I think for people who are thinking about doing a Kickstarter um, you have to sort of be pretty critical and say, in this case, do the do the strengths of the platform outweigh the weaknesses? And how, what can I do in advance of using this tool? What can I do to sort of like eliminate some of the risk and mitigate against some of those weaknesses? Mm-hmm. So, of course, the weakness of Kickstarter is people's expectations, right? Once people back the Kickstarter and give you their money, they feel very entitled to be to get their thing and have it be perfect and be part of that process. Mm-hmm. And in order to sort of mitigate our risk of being exposed to that, that's why we spend so much time in advance finishing the game. You know, we don't go to Kickstarter and say, well, we have an idea to make a game because then what happens when we start to make it and it sucks and we still have to ship people this bad game. So we make sure that we're confident in the thing we're making and we really like it. And then we go to Kickstarter and we're like, okay, well, now we just need the money to put it into print. You've hit on a really important point that I don't think many of my other podcast interviews have um, where I find that a lot of people who come to me um, for with campaigns or whatever, they have a semi-working prototype, but it's nowhere near the finished product. And then they raise a bunch of money and then all of a sudden have to spend a lot of that R&D budget to perfect the product so it's able to ship, which um, I'd love your, your perspective on this, but that will slow down the deliverables that will potentially put you over budget for stuff. Um, so is this something you've integrated in your other projects to just be as far along in the R&D process as possible prior to launch? Yeah, I mean, so getting funding for production is not part of R&D traditionally. So traditionally, R&D is sort of making a, a thing that works and then getting money for the production budget. That is to take the thing that works and sort of put it into the world. And that's just a, to me, there's just a very clear distinction. And I, I really think people, I think it's kind of, I don't want to say in every case it's inappropriate because there are some cases where, where people can do a Kickstarter to do R&D and, and it is appropriate. I'm thinking maybe of like shooting a documentary or something like that. Yeah, of right. like, yeah. There are cases where that it's like, well, I need the money to actually make the, the piece of art. But it is a huge risk. And, and you know, my expertise is mostly in like art and games and things like that. Um, some of my Kickstarter projects have included um, a screen print series that I made, a zine that I published. And, you know, in these cases, like I really am grateful that I did. I front loaded the work. And when I went to Kickstarter, I was like, here's the thing I want to make. If you believe in it, please give me your money. And if you don't believe in it, please don't give me your money. Because if nobody likes this thing, I'd rather it fail now than be on the hook for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair play. I even love in your video use, like the three of you are just sitting there and at the end, like, hey, we'd love you to give us much money. You know, you're very um, straight to the point. And I, th- I think it, it does come off really well that if you have a product, it's just going to sell itself. Um, one thing I was curious on, though, is after you spend a year of developing this amazing game, you in the first 24 hours, you hit uh, 200%. Mm-hmm of your funding goal. And I'd love to know how you got that. Yeah. I'd love to know how I got that too. Um, I think, I think, I I don't know. I mean, we, we, I think, so here's some of the things that we did that I think were successful. I think we worked, I think we already talked about that. We worked really hard to make a great game 
And among people who buy tabletop games, like they have a good nose, right? Like they play a lot of games, they're into this world, and they can look at something and sort of see how it's produced and see what it's about, and they can sort of sniff out whether it's good or, or mediocre. And in this case, I think that the amount of time and work we put into making the game excellent, people were able to smell that. They were like, oh, there's like there's some substance here. Like this is really interesting. That's number one. Number two if you if you just scroll through the project we did a lot of work to tell a story about this game you know we have questions in here we we talk about well, why is it themed like world war 2 what the same things you asked me right in this interview we we really tried to explain it we're like well how did we come up with this uh, what's it like? And we have a whole section of what is it like to play this game where we have quotes from people who have played and we talk about some of the positive re- reactions we've gotten. So this is the part where it's – I mean I guess you can call it we're just sort of selling the game to people. We're like – we're sort of – we're not exaggerating. We're not doing any tricks or gimmicks or deals or, or coupons or any ads or any of that. Not, we're not doing any nonsense. We're just telling people like this is all the information so you can make an educated purchasing decision and get it or not get it. Um, the final thing is, you know, I, I am a graphic designer by trade, so I, I always think presentation and graphic design is very, very important, and it tells people, it's, it's kind of, have you ever heard the expression, like, show, don't tell? Yes, yes. So, I, I that. so it, yeah, so it's like, it's one thing to sort of tell people, oh, this game is really cool looking and high production value, but then if you say that, it almost makes people skeptical. They're like, well, how, how good does it really look, right? So this is a case where the design of the project, we wanted it to be a show-don't-tell situation. So the design of the project shows people that we really give a whole shit about how the game is presented and how you learn it and what it looks like and what the total experience is from the moment that you open the box until you complete your game. Um, we've really thought through every aspect of that, and we tried to show that in the, the presentation of the product. Now, as for how we got to 200%, I mean, I made a tweet about it, and um, I think we wrote some blog posts, and um, you know, we did some backer updates, and we, sub- we, um, we looked up what the most popular board game blogs were and offered to send them free games, and some of them reviewed it, and some of them didn't. Um, but that's, that's, about, that's about it. Yeah, right. Okay. So very, very basic. But again, if without a good product, you wouldn't get coverage and, and all that Yeah, stuff. and that's, but... that's, the, that's the thing. And, you know, here's the, here's the thing. People uh, – this is a big pet peeve of mine, and I think you really see this in the world of technology. And you certainly see this among all of these, like, screwball, like, like Kickstarter gurus and people out there who purport to have all the secrets of Kickstarter. You know, most times that people are successful, they, they don't – really in their hearts they don't know why they're successful i mean it's a combination of random chance and luck and in 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 some cases privilege right like being able to being able to make art is a huge privilege and just to have the time and the ability and the and the the um resources to do that is a privilege so there's all these factors that have nothing to really to do with yourself that lead to success and then it's like well people are successful and everyone's tells them how great they are because they made some money. And then they're like, oh, well, they start to internalize that. And they're like, oh, well, I must have the secret. Like there is a secret and I have it. And everything I do must have led to my success. So it's like then you hear these – you go to conferences or you read these blogs with these like ridiculous like Kickstarter you know, experts and they're like every morning – before my project, I had a bowl of oatmeal, and that oh, no. is the secret to my success. And if you too just have a bowl of oatmeal before you launch your project, you too will be successful. And I just look at that, and it's like it's farcical. Like it's so funny. It's like these people—they have no idea. Like I've literally saw someone said, 
uh, one time, wear a blue shirt in your project video because it's like I, I did that and it was a high visual contrast for the user. They saw the blue shirt and it popped and that's why they backed the project. And I was like, you are – that is ridiculous. Like people have no idea what they're talking about. I'm cringing right now. Yeah. Thinking so about like, this. So, so those are obviously dumb examples, but I also just, I'm really, to be honest, I'm not really sure about this whole, like you have to raise 30% in your first X hours or do this or that. It's like there is Kickstarter is so new. It's, it's so young and it's such an exciting medium. There isn't, I I don't think there are rules. I don't think that the same reason we're successful, you necessarily can abstract that and say, well, here's the three rules that we did in this project that will lead your project to success. The thing we did that was successful was we very critically stepped back and we said, what does this piece of art need? We were like, what's right for us? Like, forget what everyone else in the world says. What's, what do we do? What's special about this game? Why this game and these people right now? Not what happened in the past, not what everyone else says. It's like, what, what about this, just this context and just this moment? And that kind of contextual thinking and contextual contingent problem solving, that's the thing that makes a Kickstarter project successful. And that's something that you can't just sort of have a bullet pointed list and be like, well, launch your project on a Tuesday and it'll get a million dollars. Yeah. All right. I am curious too, because you've, uh, you've done more campaigns than myself and you just mentioned Kickstarter is in its infancy. Where do you foresee crowdfunding going in the next two years? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, one one trend that I see as backer so so here, here's a couple of things. One thing is early on in the world of Kickstarter, there was this there became this myth that there were certain people called the backers, and the backers were on Kickstarter, and you had to take your project and put it on Kickstarter so the backers would come to your project and give you their money, and that is totally false. It is a totally false myth. There is no people, nobody hangs out on Kickstarter looking to spend their money on stuff. The quote unquote backers are just people you know who want your thing. That's it. It's your, it's your parents, it's your friends, it's people you can reach on social media. It's, it's people that could be excited about your art. That's it. There's no such thing as the backers that like, you know, they're like waiting to give their money to a project. So I think, um, that I, I think one big change is projects are starting to realize that that is not a good strategy, that just putting your thing on Kickstarter and doing all these tricks like chumming the waters and like throwing the bait out to attract the backers is not a sound strategy and you won't get funded if that's your only plan. That's number one. Number two, I think people who have backed Kickstarter projects, like including myself, like I've backed a lot of Kickstarter projects, people are becoming more savvy. They kind of know what to look for. They look at a project and they're like, wow, are these people – are they really going to deliver a great piece of art? Are they really going to deliver a great experience? Or are they just, is this sort of a cash grab? Like, are they just trying, are they just sort of in this for the money and they don't really care about it and they're going to ship some piece of garbage um, just in, in, in an attempt to make, get a big number, right? To get a bunch of dollars. And when I look at a Kickstarter project, that's one of the things that jumps out to me is like, are these people in it to really do something great with their lives and bring something special into the world? Do they really believe in this thing? Are they really into it? Is it really important? Is it, is it a really great, thing that I get to be a part of? Or is this just sort of like they're, it's a game for them and they're trying to get the dollar sign to go up? And, and I definitely shy away from those projects. So I think people are, I think that's the biggest trend I would point to is people who are inclined to back a Kickstarter project are becoming much, much smarter about what makes a good project and what makes a good piece of art and, uh, and, and what people can do with the budget they get. Cool. I do like that. 
Um, my last question here before we wrap up is if you could, because I, I always ask this, but if you can go back to your very first campaign and give yourself one piece of advice for what you would do differently, what would that be? Um, that's interesting. I mean, I think with, I think with Cards Against Humanity, which was, which was my first campaign that I did, um, I think we were, I think we went into it looking, you know, we had our, our print budget of $4,000 to make the, the first printing of Cards Against Humanity and we raised $15,000. And I think we were, we were really, at that point, we were one of the very early game projects in Kickstarter. So there wasn't, we were sort of learning what this thing was and how to use this tool. And so was Kickstarter, right? Nobody knew what this thing was. It was very, very new technology. Now it's, there are more conventions. It's a little more established. And, you know, at the time we did that project, it, there wasn't this clear division of like, Oh, there's these, like, there's these, like, uh, scam artists out there like purporting to sell you, you know, Kickstarter advice and the rules of a project and do this and don't do that. There wasn't any of that. So we just had to make everything up. And I think we really fell into this trap of trying to get that number, that dollar sign on the project up, right? Like that was what it became for us. After we reached our goal, we were like, well, now how much can we raise, right? We were, it was really intoxicating, like seeing the money come in. And, you know, I think for a while we sort of lost we it actually led to all these problems because like we wound up raising so much money on that project that our printer that we wanted to work with wasn't able to do the job it was too big and it sort of slowed down our production and we we weren't working on the game at that point we were just working on the kickstarter mm-hmm. and i think about this quote from um tim o'reilly uh who said he he was talking about you know money for a startup but i think this is very true of of kickstarter and of life he said you know money uh for your project it's like having gas in the car you need to pay attention to it or you're going to end up on the side of the road. But a well-lived life is not just a tour of gas stations. Like the point is not just to keep raising money, keep raising money, make more money. At some point, a well-lived life is I really believe in this thing and the thing comes first and we can forget about the money and we can just make a great game. That was a really tough lesson for us to learn with, with Cards Against Humanity. But all of the success of the game came from us learning to forget about the money, forget about the business and just – just think about what we were trying to do and then ask ourselves. And so instead of asking, how can this game serve the money? Like, what can we do with this game to serve that, that dollar sign? To flip the question around and say, how much, what does that dollar sign do for the creative project? The project is first. What we want to make is primary. That's why we get up in the morning is to make people laugh, is to make this thing funny and to make this thing as good as we can. Now, how does the dollar sign fit into that? What, now the dollar sign is the servant of the project. Um, another another great quote I think about all the time is like it's this, the, the the Walt Disney idea of making movies and he said uh, at Disney uh, we don't make movies to make money we make money to make movies and that's that's to me the key distinction of of the the best projects I've worked on what I've learned from them. It's really awesome to have you come on here because provided a completely different perspective as well. Like I knew this would be a fun interview to do. Um, but even still, it's humbling to go back to the roots of having a good intention behind the project and to not have it be all about money, just be around the project itself. So that's been it's really, really awesome speaking to you. Thanks. And Thanks um, for having me. You're welcome. Do you have any uh, famous last words before we wrap up? Uh, well, I know when, uh, when Del Close died, he has my favorite uh, uh, last words uh, ever. 
uh, when the uh, the great uh, um, uh, uh, sort of creator of Chicago Improv died, his last words were, "Finally, I'm not the funniest person in the room." Well, I'll be sure to put that in the blog notes. Of this. oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Well, this has been this has been great. So, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was a ton of fun. Awesome. Thanks. Wasn't that fun? If you want more of that, uh, you can head over to episode 100 where we do a follow-up about a year later uh, or a year and a half later on the podcast. And um, yeah, so that was our century one. But apart from that, uh, thanks for another epic episode and for listening. For new content and information on the new podcast dropping on May 15th, be sure to head uh, and like new resources and stuff. Um, we're doing a complete new brand and new podcast. So head over to kirsten.com for information on that. Again, that's May 15th and I will see you in the next few episodes. So we are a couple of short weeks away from that May drop date. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launchpad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step -step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.